I'd like to share something uh, just from my own heart. Um, as we're preparing for the season, uh, obviously two more days until Christmas, um, I would encourage you guys and exhort you guys to not lose heart, to continue to be patient, but also to have self-control during this time because it's easy to get frustrated. It's very easy. It's very easy to lose your patience and to get upset and mad. Um, I work in retail. Um, I work over at Macy's and Men's Fragrance. And boy, you have a lot of angry people. They just hate life just because they can't wait for two minutes. They hate life, and they're just bummed out. And uh, us as Christians, it's hurting my ear. Us as Christians, we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be getting upset or ticked off or um, lose patience. We should always bring the joy of the Lord with us wherever we go. Um, And I encourage you and exhort you in that. We need to bring the joy of the Lord with. Um, the reason why is because how is how are other people going to see Jesus through our lives? Um, it was funny as we were setting up here. Um, there was this old man right here. He's just you know going at it on his newspaper, and I accidentally, as I'm reaching to plug in a cord, I accidentally just bumped his chair. He says, "What do you say?" Oh yeah, he says, "Would you please stop hitting my chair?" Like, really mean, like, in a jerky manner. I was just like, sorry, sir, you know. And, like, and, and I was in the wrong because I was over here. And then I was kind of, like, gossiping it to Robert. I'm like, dude, did you hear that guy? He just, he was just being a jerk to me right now, you know. And, like, I was, you know, and I was in the wrong for gossiping. But he was also in the wrong for, you know, being so upset. And as, um, and as he's getting ready to leave, he sees uh, Bibles and he says, is there a religious act going on here? I'm like, yeah, we're having Bible study. And he's like, oh, really? You know, and he's like, man, praise the Lord. You know, all of a sudden turns on to praise the Lord, man. And, uh, and I'm just like, really? Like all, like all of a sudden from please stop bumping into my chair to praise the Lord just because he sees Bibles laying around, you know, and like it's so easy to be two-faced you know i just experienced it 20 minutes ago and and that's why the lord just spoke to me during that time as i'm doing worship it's like i was because i was kind of bummed out like man i was bummed out at the fact that he lost his patience towards me just because i barely bumped this chair i i mean i barely touched it i didn't it wasn't like a you know it was more it was more like a whoops sorry you know and he's being a jerk to me and so as I'm leading worship, my mind was still focusing on that because how can he be like that? But then again, the Lord was convicting me. How can I be like that when I was talking about him you know, to Robert over here? Just, man, you see that? That guy's a jerk, man. Like I was talking wrong on him too, and so I was wrong on my behalf as well. So, um, so it's easy to lose patience, and so that's why, man, I'm just encouraging you. Let's just... Try to show the best of Jesus as we can. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I'm easier to get a little ticked off. It's no excuse. I mean, I work like 17 to 20 hour days. And so uh, my day starts 3 o'clock in the morning every Monday through Thursday. And I work all the way till like 10 o'clock at night. And, uh, 
and I know it's easy for me to just snap. Like, I can snap easily. And that's why I kind of sound bummed out up here. But then, again, I'm trying to make jokes, and I'm trying to make you guys you know, feel comfortable with me. But I know it's not working because you guys aren't feeling too comfortable. So I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. And so, you know, from from my experience, let's not lose patience. It's so easy, so easy to snap. Um, me working with people, especially just people that are in a hurry, just because, you know, they just want to buy and leave. They have to wait in line just for like a good five minutes. You should see what they say. It's It's pretty ridiculous what they say. And so I don't want us to uh, display that, you know, because it's very easy to. So... Let's not lose heart in that. Let's control ourselves. You know, love is self-control. And we need to uh, pretty much grab a hold of that self-control and display that and just show favor. And um, and if there's an opportunity to bless, now is the time. Now This is the season to, you know. It should be every day, but hey, now is the time. People are really hurting. Um, it just sucks to see so many people hurting out there, um, especially my friends that I know um, on a personal level, they're just, a lot of people don't have money, they're out of jobs, they have nothing. And so, um, please, when you find, or if you um, ever see, or, you know, if you have the opportunity to bless someone, let's just do it in the name of Christ, you know, and and I know it's going to be worth it, because Christ went around blessing others, he went around healing people, he went around um, just to, just to comfort someone, even if it's just 10 minutes of your time to spend with someone, let's try to display to the best of our ability. And do not say happy holidays. Gosh, I hate that. Forget that. No happy holidays. It's Merry Christmas, okay? Merry Christmas. Like at Macy's, um, our policy is we can't say Merry Christmas, so we have to say happy holidays. But I'm just like, I don't care if it's happy holiday. No, I'm saying Merry Christmas, you know, because this is the season to remember Christ. This is the season to lift his name. He was born to die for us, for me and for you. He was born to bear the sins, to bore the sins of the world, I should say, upon him, himself in order that we can have eternal life. And I keep going back to that um, right now at, I work at the church, we're going through Deuteronomy, and it's just a history on the Israelites and how they murmured and complained, and the Lord has blessed them over and over, and they keep complaining and murmuring. And that's a lot of us in here. We keep complaining and murmuring because, oh, I don't have money, or I'm not in a relationship, or I'm looking for a girlfriend or for a boyfriend, or I don't have a career going, or... Whatever it is, we keep complaining, but yet we forget that God supplies all of our needs. He's the one that enriches us, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's because He's given us salvation. That should be enough for us. Do you understand that? Salvation should be enough for you. You don't need anything. All, everything He gives you is just a blessing on top of that. So please, don't murmur. Don't get angry. And especially, don't get angry with God if something happens. Remember, He's giving you life in that abundantly. You don't need anything else. You need Christ, and that's it. And this is the season to understand and to think about that. Don't be like the Israelites. They keep complaining. They keep whining and crying. 
We're no longer babies. First Corinthians tells us when Paul speaks about him being immature, being child mind, being childlike, but then he became a man. And us, in a sense, hey, those of us that are being immature or childlike, hey, it's time to be a man and a woman of God. There's no more of this sucking on a bottle, playing with mud. There's no more of that. It's time to grow up, to mature in God, and to be thankful. That's it. You just got to be thankful. And I guarantee, if you're thankful, if you are really, really, each of you, if you're really thankful, you're not going to complain. You're not going to murmur. You're not going to be bummed out. Why? Because you are thankful that for that one thing. What is it? It's Jesus Christ. And that He lives inside of you. And that He resonates in your body and He, he consumes you. That's why there's nothing to be upset about. There's nothing to be angry about. Just be thankful. This is the season to give and to be thankful for what God has done for us. So please... That's my exhortation. Man, be thankful. I'm very thankful. I mean, yeah, sometimes I complain. Trust me. You work, try working three to four jobs, you'll complain. And sometimes I catch myself, and I always have to put myself back in check. Hey, Brian, get a hold of yourself. Self-control. Be thankful. You have those jobs. People out there don't even, the people out there wish they had one of your jobs. And that's when it draws me back to my knees, and I'm so thankful. That's a blessing on top. It, it it really is. I have nothing to be. I have nothing to be upset about or to complain about. I have a job, and it pays me very well. And so, those of you that are maybe feeling a little bit on a little a, a little bit like me, just sometimes just worn out, sometimes just not appreciative towards anything. Man, think. Take a, take a backtrack, take one step back and think, man, God has given me much. He has, He truly has. Only the name of Jesus Christ can save a person. Only the name of Jesus Christ can heal a person. And man, this is His month. This is His time. This is where we sit at His feet and really, wow, Jesus Christ. Wow, the same Spirit lives inside of me. And yet, I choose to defile Him. It's, we we, we got to live, we have a standard to meet. We got we to gotta be up to par with Him. At least try our best. And so, man, let's be thankful. Let's rejoice. Let's just go out with a bang. Let's go out blessing people, encouraging people, praying for people. Whatever it takes to show Christ. Whatever it takes. If it's you taking off your jacket to give to a bum, then do so. If it's you buying a breakfast burrito for a bum or a California burrito at Alberto's, then do so. Bless them. And if so, and if you're going to do that, always remember, hey, would you accept, this is from Jesus, accept it in the name of Jesus. Give him the glory. He deserves the glory. Brian doesn't deserve this hand clap. I don't deserve it. 
If anything, I deserve to get stoned. If anything, I deserve to go to hell. Because you guys don't know me. I know me. And so, as we gather our minds, let's pay attention. As you guys open the Word of God, let it speak to your heart. Focus on the Word. Let the Spirit just mold and shape you. Yeah, Josh isn't here. Yeah, our our Moses is gone, or our Paul's gone, or our Timothy's gone. Whatever. Get out. But it's time for a new Timothy to come up. So, please, lend your ears as Alfredo comes up and gives the message. Please, lend your ear. And those of you that don't walk away with anything, it's because you didn't lend your ear. Because the word of the Lord would never return void. So pay attention, please. Because if not, if you're just here for kicks, you're going to miss out on the blessing. You really are. And so, without further ado, sorry to bum you guys out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But without further ado, Robert's got a quick Devo, and then Alfredo's going to come up and share the word. And uh, hopefully I'll see you guys soon. I have to go, because... I have work tomorrow, so be blessed, be filled, and uh, here's Robert. Got a quick word for you guys. Um, kind of what Brian touched on. Father, I just thank you for you, Lord. And Father, I just ask that you would please... You speak right now, Lord. I don't want to speak. I don't want my words to go out. I want your word to go out, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm just going to be in James 1.5. And uh, it says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Um, I think that I wanted to use that verse just because I think that the number one reason that people don't share with somebody, the number one reason people don't step out and talk to somebody is because they think, I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible enough. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? And I think that was the number one thing that stopped me from talking to people. I would think oh, I don't really know the Bible. I don't I don't know enough and I just want you to know that you already know enough. And if you ask the Lord for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. I'm not telling you not to read your Bible. Where 2 Timothy 2:15 says, "Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." And um but When you're sharing with somebody, it's not always about having that exact answer. It's not always about having the exact verse for them. Sometimes it's all about just showing them that you love them and that the Lord loves them. And I want to share the first time that the Lord really showed me that. Um, I was at a gas station. 
Um, I went to the machine to put my money in, and the machine didn't work, so I had to go inside. I was pretty upset about going inside. And uh, as I was walking out, I, I held the door open for this lady, and she, uh, I was walking to my car, and she stopped me, and she said, are you the one with the prayer changes things on the back of your car? And I was like, yeah, prayer, really, prayer changes things. It's, it's really true. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I told her, God bless you, and that was it. And then I went over to my car, and I'm putting the gas in, and she comes around the corner of the car. And she says, I really just need someone to talk to. Will you hear me? Will you just listen to me? And I was like, yeah, go ahead and talk. And she talked, and she talked for a long time. I remember the, the gas pump stopping, and I just stood there and listened to her, never really giving a word, just letting her talk. She was kind of ministering to herself. And at the end, I offered to pray for her, and we prayed for her. I prayed for her at the gas station. And I remember her leaving content, content and just in the Lord. And I know it wasn't me that day. It was just the Lord using me in the moment. But what if I just told her no? What if I just got in the car and left? What if I just really didn't listen to her? I mean... The Lord put me in that situation to show me that it's not about the knowledge. It's not about, you know, knowing exactly, you know, somebody tells you, you know exactly, this is the verse for you. I mean, there are times for that, but there's other times where you just need to stop, listen to somebody, and then pray for them. And I just want you to know that there is somebody in this room, there is somebody in your home, there is somebody at your work, there is somebody at school that is just waiting for you to just stand there and listen to them and really care. And that's what that's what we're called for. We're called to love people. We're called to just... What, what did Jesus do? He just went and loved people. He didn't always teach from the scripture. He just went and loved people. So I want you to know when you go out... This is Christmas. Christmas isn't... I mean, for some of us, it's a great time we're, we're going to get presents we have family but for other people that don't have family that don't have money that don't have a place to go this is possibly the worst time ever for them it's the saddest time ever for them because they're reminded that they don't have anybody to go visit with they don't they're reminded that they don't have somebody to just care about them and I think as we go out and we go shop, like Brian says, we go shop, maybe you should be on the lookout for somebody you see is down. You can look and see somebody is down. And you can just tell them, you know, Jesus loves you, or is there anything I can pray for you about? Or Just show them that you care. Just showing somebody that you care can change their entire day. So I just want to encourage you in that to just be open to the Lord, be open to Him. Just if you really walk in the Spirit, the Lord will show you the person. You'll just be standing there, and the Lord will say, "Look left or look right," and you'll see that person. So be open to the Lord. Be open to just talking to people. I mean, I know that there's a fear of stepping out and not knowing the answer, but I would rather step out and look foolish once than missing an opportunity to minister to somebody because that once 
is only one time. You're never going to see that person again anyways. So if you step out and you look foolish, so what? But if you step out for ten other people and you somehow minister to them and change their outlook on the day, I think it's worth looking foolish. So just want to encourage you in that. Just be on the lookout for somebody, somebody to talk to, someone to minister to, someone just to love. And um, that's it. Thank you. Rob, thank you, man, for that word. What a blessing. How you guys all doing? Good? Well, I'm pretty much fed, so we can all go home now. I mean, Brian came in here, said his two cents. He's gone. I'm playing. I see a lot of new faces. How many of you guys are here for the first time tonight? A lot. Derek, put your hand down. How many of you know who I am? Not a lot. That's a good thing. It means I can say what I want, and Josh isn't here. And if you come back next week and tell him that I said something wrong, he's not going to believe you because I'm his good friend. So it's a lose-lose for you guys and a win-win for me. As you can see, there's no recording either. Rob, is this being recorded? Okay, never mind. I take that back. It's being recorded. I didn't know you were going to record that, man. Uh, well, I'll just go half as long now. I, yeah. Man, what a great word, Rob. Thank you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And tonight we're going to be in Proverbs 13. So go ahead and flip there. For those of you, this is the first time out at Upper Room. Josh usually teaches a chapter a night. And then on every other night, you follow along. They just finished up Psalms. They were in there for like two years, I think. And they're finally done. I think you guys did Proverbs 6 last Tuesday, plus 7, 13 tonight. That's where we're at. Let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Lord, we so desperately, God, hold on to the promises that you give us in your word. And Lord, you said it yourself, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And Solomon did that very thing. A great king, he had all the kingdoms, all the women, all the wealth, all the success. All the success. And yet the one thing that he constantly begged from you, Lord, was wisdom. And God, you were so faithful to answer that. And so, Lord, would you speak to us tonight? Wisdom is something that Solomon truly did have, and we desire to have it as well. So, Lord, be with us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, wisdom, here it is, Proverbs 13. One of the great things about Proverbs is that it just cuts it nice and dry, a lot of these things don't even need explanation. Some of them do, but most of them you're able to be convicted right after you get done reading it. I'm sorry, i got to get used to this thing. It's terrible. But Proverbs 13, let's start right here in verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. 
Verse 3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Let's stop there for a second. Solomon obviously was someone who desired wisdom. And I think in the same aspect, we don't read Proverbs unless we want the same exact thing. I want wisdom. You want it as well. But the thing is that we don't want to go through the process of what it takes to get that wisdom. And what I mean by that is some of us are so prideful, starting with me, that we don't want to humble ourselves enough to listen to instruction or enough to listen to correction or even at times rebuke. He says it right here, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And it's a sad day when we cannot simply sit down and listen to what someone has to tell us, especially if it's a close friend. The wise son needs to heed the words of his father. And secondly, in verse 3, I find it interesting here that the one who guards his mouth preserves his life, but the one who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. I like it that the one who can't sit down and listen just for a sec to receive some kind of instruction is the one whose mouth is always moving. Usually they can't stop two seconds to hear a word because their mouth won't stop. They only hear their own words. And I think what really drives this point home is what James said in James chapter 3. Don't turn there. I'll just read it for you real quick. And I think it's going to bring to light a little more what this passage is saying. James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, Indeed, we put bits in horse mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. This great massive ship is controlled by a small rudder. Where that rudder moves sets the course and the direction of that ship for its next couple, I don't know, leagues, lengths, whatever they call it there. And in the same sense, the words that come from our mouth set the course of our lives. Solomon said that the one who cannot close it will feed only on his own violence and lead himself to his own destruction. It's pretty heavy. Listen to rebuke, listen to correction, be open to those things, and watch the mouth. Let's continue on to verse 4. He says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. The ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. Now in this last chunk, it's kind of shifted from the speech of a wise man and a foolish man, now into the actions of a wise man and a foolish man, and again we're able to compare and contrast the differences that we see. 
The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. I get such a vivid picture of so many, tons of conversations I've had with past friends whose lives have not changed since I've seen them. They have these massive goals and aspirations set before them, but they do honestly nothing about it. And it says it right here, he has desires, but the man is lazy. And he actually has nothing. Laziness leads to poverty, as we see there in verse 8. But the poor does not hear rebuke. You see, he's poor because he's lazy. And he's lazy because he didn't hear the rebuke, first of all, that he was a lazy man. It ties in so well. And then back in verse 6, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Righteousness is basically us being imputed by the works of Christ. His sinless life, His atonement for sin now covers us. So we have been made righteous. So when God looks at you and you and you, He all says you are righteous because of what my Son has done. Because of that, there is security there. And He says He guards His way, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and 1 that man is slave or slaves to sin. That's basically what it came down to. One has complete protection, the other is a complete slave to their own sin. There's nothing that's going to change that unless Christ comes in and gives them the righteousness that he's given to us as Christians. Let's keep going on in verse 9. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. I just love that. The light of the righteous rejoices. The righteous rejoice, again, because like I said a second ago, they have been made righteous. They rejoice because their life has been changed by Jesus. They rejoice, as Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The main reason why they rejoice is because the Lord is receiving all the glory. He's being exalted. He's being lifted up. But the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So the things that the wicked exalt, the things that the wicked praise about, the things that they have chosen to live for other than God will be put out. They will be destroyed. They will be diminished. And wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will be will increase. I think most of you guys are old enough to remember the whole Enron case, right? Enron. All these great CEOs had a lot of money. They wanted more. So they started stealing from their own company at the cost of all their basic, I think it was their customers. They were lying on their sheets. They had all these different things going on. And shortly later it became public news. They went on trial. They lost everything. Enron shut down. I think this state right here, California, was affected pretty seriously by it because of the electricity problem. But it led to the suicide of some of these men. Again, a fair warning goes out. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he 
who gathers by labor will increase. And this is such a hard one, I think, for me to get. Because as we try to live an honest life, as we try to show integrity in the things that we do, sometimes we see very little benefits from that. But God in His Word, if you look at verse 13, we'll jump ahead. He says you'll be rewarded in verse 18. He says you'll be honored in verse 21. Good shall be repaid. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you remain pure in your job here, listen. God will increase, that's for sure. Down in verse 12, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. To one, to, the, to turn one away from the snares of death, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. The change we've now seen is from speech to action and now to what we've been given. The comparison is now between a wise man and the fool and what they've been given. It's clear in these passages that what they've been given is the word, what they've been given is the law and the commandment. And the greatest thing, the most important thing we have been given is the gospel. If you look through all your life, the most important thing you've ever been given is the gospel. Because that entails salvation... In that also entails the incarnation of Jesus. In that also entails the only cure for human man. Those three. The most important thing you've been given is the gospel. And in these next couple of verses, we see the comparison between those who use it wisely and those who use it foolishly. He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn to turn one away from the snares of death. Many times when I'm on the street, I hear that the Bible is restricting, God is restricting, Christianity as a whole is simply religion and it just puts you in a box. You become a nice, neat, organized person and you follow rules. And they don't want rules. But I see it quite differently. I find the Bible to be actually liberating in my own life. And so I usually give them this example. On the road, we all got to drive, but at the same time, we also abide by the rules that are on the road. Now, I like to drive fast. I have a Dodge Charger, and I love driving that thing. The thing that, that I take back would probably be the gas. And so it doesn't help if I have to stop at this light and that light and this sign and that sign. But there's reasons for why I stop at those signs and those lights. Number one, it's going to protect me. It's going to help me from not hitting somebody else and also probably not being hit myself. So we abide by the rules and the laws of the road in the same sense that we abide by the rules and the laws of the word. They protect you. There's a reason for them. But sadly, the world only sees us and they know what we stand for and they know what we don't. St- and we know they know what we don't stand for and they know what we stand for. Sorry, words got jumbled. But far too often they don't know why it is that we stand against these certain things. They know we don't have sex before marriage, they just don't know why. 
they think, well, they don't drink, drunkenness is bad, but they really don't know why. Homosexuality, they know why we stand against, I'm sorry, they know that we stand against it, but they don't know why. They don't know that marriage is sacred and that it's pure and that it's a gift from God. They don't know why. And he answers it here in this verse. The law of the wise is a foundation of life to turn one away from the snares of death. The Bible keeps you safe, my friends. God's word protects you. It does not restrict you. My handcuffs are off. And I enjoy reading this thing every day. Let's keep going on. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. You see, the laws and the commandments that you are starting to understand in the word become evident in a prudent man. It's another term your Bible probably says, wise man, well-instructed man. That's all it is. Every prudent man acts with knowledge. So it's one thing for us to read the word, for it to understand it, to gain the information, but it's another thing to actually grow in the word, to have the word begin to be played out in your own life. It says the prudent man acts with knowledge. He is acting with the knowledge that he is taking in up here is being played out in his life. They can see it. But a fool lays open his folly. It's like the closet door is completely opened. You see he has no foundation. His foolishness is on complete display. Yet the prudent man, you can see the word in his actions. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. I'm sorry, my mind's running like a circus. I just had a nice picture of a crazy pastor start preaching. I just thought about that, right? A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings health. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 calls us ambassadors of Christ. He says that God is pleading through us the message of reconciliation. So the faithful ambassadors are those who have stayed true to that message. And yet the wicked ones are the ones who have perverted the gospel. They've turned it into something that's appeasing to man. It's appealing to man. Now the list can go on on who I'm referring to. I don't think I need to name names. All you guys have to do is flip to TBN or God TV and see the jokes that are on there. They perverted the Gospels, and Solomon says that their message is wickedness. But a faithful ambassador brings health. Health to the soul, water to the soul. That's what the faithful ambassador brings. So we've looked at the speech, the actions... The response with what they've been giving between the wise and the foolish man. And the last thing we're going to examine is the last couple verses here that focus on the lasting effects of the wise and the foolish man in verses 18 through 25. It shows here the poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul but is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 
Back up there at 18. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. Like I said earlier, the lazy man leads himself right into poverty. Why is he lazy? Because he cannot receive the correction that somebody is trying to give him. But he who regards a rebuke will be honored. It's not a bad thing to receive correction or instruction. We all long to sit under a wise old man or a wise old woman. Most of their wisdom has come from the mistakes they made. So it's not always a bad thing to receive a rebuke. Sometimes it's necessary. I have plenty of close friends that deliver them constantly to me, and I think I'm very thankful for them. As Josh usually says, a friend will stab you in the front. He'll let you know when you got all the cream cheese on your face. As C.J. Mahaney quite nicely puts it. And down in verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And it makes sense now when you read verse 19, but it is an abomination to fools that apart from evil. They can't do it. It's too hard. And I've never seen this truth become so real in my own life that on this past Sunday, I'm over there at, at Harvest is where I, I serve on Sundays. And I've been discipling this one kid for like the past year. I haven't seen him in like four months because of work is what he told me. And I saw him there Sunday night. And the face that he gave me was so sad when I asked him how he was doing. He was in a truck with a friend. And I was like, come on, man, let, get out. Let me talk to you for a little bit. So they got out, and I I found out quickly that his friend wasn't a Christian, so I started sharing Christ with him, and he was kind of receiving the things that I was saying. But he kept looking away like his attention span was like two seconds. The guy finally just said, you know what, man, to be honest with you, i got to let you know I'm high right now. I'm high. I'm on a real good one, is what he said. Right there on the, the church uh, sanctuary. The guy was high. And he was driving this kid who I used to disciple. So I gave that guy my number, my name. I told him to read some passages. I wanted him to call me. It's better left unsaid just to leave a man in his folly, as Proverbs says. And I'll hopefully talk to him when he's sober-minded. But I turned to my friend, and I was just so disgusted that he would be in the same car with a guy who was high. And yet he, decide, he, he desires to change his life, but he cannot walk away from his friends. It's the same problem he always had. I would constantly counsel him day after day. You have got to leave your friends. And he did for a while. Now he fell back in it. And this is what his life is. So I rebuked the one guy for driving high. And then counseled my friend and said, come on, what are you doing? But this passage is so true, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Listen, it's okay to have non-Christian friends. I have plenty of them. I have plenty of family members who aren't Christians. That doesn't mean I don't talk to them, but that the same time it means that I will not partake in the things that they're doing nor allow my faith or my walk with Christ to be compromised by their own lifestyle. And sometimes we justify wanting to share Christ with them and then we end up doing the same things that they're doing. It's sad, family, but he wrote it down so clearly for us right here. The end is destruction, 
the companion of fools will be destroyed. He says it so clearly. And I really don't know how else to stress it other than how severe it is. And he uses the word destroyed, diminished, destruction. All these various words here are used for the end of the fool. It's not worth it. Jesus asked his disciples, What will you give in exchange for your soul? Will it be your friends, a career, success? What are you willing to give up your soul for to have now? Is it any of those things? To me, it's none of those things. It really isn't. And it's not worth having these friends still here. It's not worth having this career still here. It's not worth compromising my faith. It just isn't. So again, the lasting effects of the wise and the foolish. Evil pursues sinners, but to the righteous, good shall be repaid. I think that goes along with the earlier passage, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Evil pursues sinners. You can't escape your sin. That's, that's a clear fact. It comes back and gets you. That's for sure. It's going to happen. God's righteous judgment will stand, and you will give an account, believers and non-believers. And he says it here, evil pursues the sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. The honesty now, the integrity now, that all those things will be repaid back to you. You will be rewarded for your faithfulness, that's for sure. Verse 22, a good man leaves inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinners is stored up for the righteous. I just love that, man. That is one of my sole desires is to raise a family and allow my children's children to inherit the faith that I have, to instill to them the principles that I have. I wasn't raised necessarily in a Christian home. So I understand the consequences of some of that. My parents are now saved, thank God. But man, what a joy and what a challenge it is for us as young ones to be able to leave a lasting impression the inheritance of our children is so important. And it says here, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. But, he says, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. When Israel was going into Canaan, the promised land, the Canaanites were in there, the Amorites, all kinds of other ites were in there. They had tons of wealth. God said, I'm going to destroy them. Have faith in me. I will deliver you and you will get everything that they have. And that's exactly what happened. Joshua led the army in there. They took and they destroyed. And the reward was everything that those people had. Exactly what Solomon is saying here. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Verse 23, Much food is found in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. The righteous eats to the satisfying of the soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Look at verse 24 again, because I find it pretty interesting. Spare the rod. It's a term you've probably heard. Discipline is something that the world looks at the Christian and says we do too much of. I beg to differ. I think many of us who say we will spare the rod because we love our son or because we are considerate, or because we're understanding of them. 
God says it like this, he who spares his rod hates his son. It's not love, it's not understanding. He says it's hate. Because if you think of a lifetime of non-discipline, what's going to happen to the kid? That's a scary thought. I, for one, I got the belt. I got the spatula. I hated it. I got the open hand, never a close hand. I got the ear in the grocery store. I got it all, but I am so thankful for it. To be honest with you, I wasn't disciplined enough. There were many things I got away with. There really was. I even thank my, I th- I thank my dad for it. I really do. Because I hated it then, but I understand it now. And yet the world says you cannot discipline your son. It's wrong to say that about him. It's wrong to do that. To some degree, I can't argue with them because if the parent is finding difficulty in disciplining their son, it's probably because of this, because their lifestyle is no different. So how do you turn around and discipline your son when they watch you 24-7 and you're doing the same thing? You have no authority. The great thing is, though, in godly discipline, there is great authority because your life is not your kid's life. And that's something that we have got to look to. I see discipline kind of like this. A good doctor is going to give you the medication you need for either a disease or some kind of sickness. But a skillful one, he's going to give you the right amount. If he doesn't give you enough, the sickness may not go away. It probably won't go away. The disease won't be fixed. If he gives you too much, it's going to be overbearing. In fact, it might have a counter effect. It might do more damage than it will do good. But the right amount is exactly what's going to take care of the problem. And that's how we've got to look at discipline. The right amount is going to exactly fix the kid. I know it fixed me. I probably could use a little more. And again, verse 25, wrapping this thing up. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. I love to just sit on that. One of the joys that I have serving at Harvest is I get to go around to different states and put on these crusades. I go out there with Pastor Steve, if any of you guys are aware of who he is. But one of the things I constantly tell people on the streets is this. I ask them if there's a difference between what is satisfaction and what is pleasure. The verse we just read, the satisfying to the soul, the stomach of the wicked is constantly wanting more. Usually they tell me, no, there's no difference. There's no difference between satisfaction or pleasure. They're the same thing. But the dictionary defines them as two different things. Satisfaction is having complete contentment. Pleasure is temporal. It's but for a moment. So I ask the person, please tell me in your life where you found any kind of satisfaction. It's great to do this because they seriously, they, they'll recall everything they've done. And you have to correct them. No, that's pleasure. You did it again. right? Smoking, drugs, women, careers. None of that brings complete satisfaction. You want more. It really does. If one cigarette was enough, why are you smoking an entire pack today? It's not enough. And I only use that analogy because my brother's a chain smoker, and I ask him this all the time. But there is no difference. And then the bummed out look they give you on their face because they just realize that the last 20 years of their life have been filled with only pleasure and no satisfaction. So then I simply tell them, Jesus said this. He said, drink the water that I offer you and you will never thirst again. So they say, what does that mean? 
No, but I explained to him what Jesus meant. He was there at the well. He asked a woman for a drink, and he gave her, and she gave him something. Obviously, this woman, we all know her past. She had had many, we'll call them partners. She had no, found no satisfaction. So I explained to this person that what they chase after, what they chase after in the world, is simply pleasure, because the world offers something that they don't even have. That's satisfaction. That's contentment. Because as a sinner, you are separated from your Creator. This is Christianity 101. So your soul is longing to be back with its Creator. There is something within you that is going to do whatever it can to meet that needed, to meet that need. So if you're in the world, it's going to be simply pleasure. But once you find Christ, it is what? Satisfaction. The water He offers, you will never thirst again. What I've seen Christ do in my life, I don't want anything else. There's not a single woman, there's not a single drug, there's not a career that's going to cause me to want to give up my life with Christ to fulfill some temporal pleasure. And that's what it is. And Solomon closed the chapter here, the wise are satisfied because their life is in Christ. They've been made righteous. But the wicked, who cannot receive rebuke, whose mouths constantly run, whose actions lay open their foolishness, they're constantly wanting more. And that's what it is. And I think that's an exciting thing. That might sound weird, but I see it like this. With Christmas coming, we have so many family members that we get to see. On my side, I have a lot of unsaved friends, a lot of unsaved family members. And it's hard because some of them are in the world. <laughs> that's just their life. And to be very candid with you, I have a homosexual aunt. And she was my favorite aunt growing up until I found that out. And now our relationship is pretty tough. It really is. But one thing I tried to get her to understand is that the sin is not acceptable before God but that the Lord is going to provide some satisfaction for her. And it's one thing that I always bring to my family is that simple analogy. Satisfaction and pleasure, it works so well. Because it breaks down Scripture form so where they don't think Jesus was just rambling, speaking in all these crazy parables. It begins to make sense in their own mind and they can see it played out in their own life. The major difference between satisfaction and pleasure, and I pray to God my aunt finds that one day, but I pray also that we can take this so this Christmas season to our families because it's so needed. It is so needed. They need to hear that this world is going to give them something they cannot find and that is satisfaction. So another Christmas will go by, simple pleasures, no satisfaction. And so that's what I wanted to end with, the comparison between the wise and the foolish and the various things, it's pretty plain, it's pretty simple. It cuts pretty uh, pretty deep. And I think the amazing thing about Proverbs is that it's so humbling. It's so simple, yet so profound. I think you find yourself really laboring over the text you read, trying to figure out, God, what are you saying in this? And then if you pray long enough, you sit there long enough, I think you begin to understand. God is faithful and he gives you the answers, that's for sure. So let's go ahead and pr close in prayer.
we'll get out of here. Lord, I thank you so much, God. That in your saving work we have righteousness, Lord. And in your saving work you have given us wisdom and satisfaction. We thank you so much for that. And so, Lord, we want to take that message with us, Lord, especially this Christmas season. As many of us will be with family and friends who aren't saved. God, I ask that you would give us great boldness and be able to step out and share with them. So, Lord, be with your people tonight. God, I even pray for Josh, too, as he's going to see some unsafe family members. I know he's so excited to bless and minister to them. Um, but, Lord, we, we're in the same boat. We desire to do the same thing. So I pray that the wisdom that you have given us in your word would be played out in our lives. And God, that we would see the foolish, those who are wicked, be made righteous by the work of your Son. Lord, we look forward to that. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man.